We're continuing where we left off. This is Doug Presley, uh, Word is Truth Christian Church. It is 6-13-2021, and we're going to continue with the thought of the week and prayer. Okay, the thought of the week. Yet another example. As a child, I learned the story of the three Hebrew boys. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you are not familiar with this story, please read. There are a lot of object lessons to take from this story. But here is one some may have missed. As you know, King Nebuchadnezzar issued a decree about bowing to an image of gold. If everyone did not bow down, they would be thrown into the fiery furnace. When it was discovered these three Hebrew boys would not bow down. The king was furious. Well, after questioning them, the boys stood their ground. The king was even more angry and commanded the furnace to be heated seven times hotter. The boys were bound and thrown into the furnace. What is key here was their comments. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the king, sorry, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. God did miraculous, God did miraculously deliver them. Truly a miracle before the king and all who were there. However, the second comment is important to note here. But even if he does not, we want you to know, Your Majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. They certainly hoped to be delivered, but knew it was very possible they could die in the furnace. They were delivered, but not everyone with faith was. Some faced jeers and jogging and even chains of imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Expect and leave room for God to act according to his will his purpose and plan. This just brings me to another example of how when God understood our Lord Jesus Christ, when he understood that he had to be sacrificed for the world, he asked for this cup to be removed, but let your will be done, O God. And the Father did sacrifice our Lord and Savior. And he did go through that fiery furnace. And for doing so, he's the Savior of the world. And just believing on this Savior, we too now can have everlasting life. So at this time, we're going to have Dwight for prayer. I thought Dave was going to do it, but I'll, I'll go ahead and do it. So um, is anybody in need of specific prayer? I'll be praying for our families, of course. Okay, let us bow our heads before God. Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much for the opportunities that you have continually granted to us by your grace that we have the availability of technology and our time and our safety and our health to come together and thoroughly look at what you have said in your word. And we know that your word is truth and you desire that all people would come to the knowledge of the truth. We pray that we would, um, the eyes of our hearts would be open for what you have to teach us this morning and this afternoon. And I also want to extend uh, prayer and request for um, 
ourselves on this call and also Words Truth um, Church, meaning everybody who has participated in this church at one time or another, as well as the church worldwide, the body of Christ. And we know that we are not the only people that are looking into these things, um, but we ask that the, uh, the Holy Spirit would not give up on working with people to work with their volition and to um, help them to see that these spiritual things are not things that we could have imagined, that these are things that need to be taught um, because we just didn't know them before we were saved. We also pray for the safety and well-being of everyone we know and encounter. Uh, we know that this world is, is full of trials and tribulations, and you have warned us accordingly. Um, help us to continue to be focused on our citizenship, which is in heaven. Help us to keep our focus on what is in, what is above and what is excellent, what is noble. And to always be prayer without season with thanksgiving and supplication. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Thank you, Dwight and Bill. Appreciate Amen. that. Appreciate that. Um, we're going to continue in where we uh, left off in John chapter 16. So John chapter 16 says, I will pick up in verse 13 into where we left off. But, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes... He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he makes, he will make known to you. So that's where we are in verse 14, and we'd like to take our, take our time and go through some of this, see what we, far we can, how far we can get. You should have notes in your notes. It is interesting to me that the Spirit will glorify the Son. We learn, from, from, uh, we learn that it is the Father's plan which is given to the Son for Him to be glorified. The Father and the Spirit defer to Christ as the focal point of this glorious eternal plan. We see a humility which is exceptional and certainly worthy of our admiration in the Godhead. Even our Lord Jesus displayed notable humility himself, quote, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, and by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, likeness, unquote. That's Philippians 2, 6, and 7. While the Son receives all the glory, he understands humility, quote, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross, unquote. That's Philippians 2.8. For us who have been raised and seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, we are complete, we are to be, quote, completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, unquote. That's Ephesians 4.2. So humility is not foreign to the Trinity. Each one and the Trinity has uh, shown us displays of what humility looks like. And there's no surprise that we will see that as we look at God the Holy Spirit and how he ministers. So let's take some time to, to go through. He will, here's the first phrase, really broke this down into two phrases. The first one, he will glorify me. So the first point is the Holy Spirit, who is God, will glorify Jesus Christ. What is noteworthy here is the deference of, uh, of the Father and the Spirit to the Lord Jesus Christ. When we look at Ephesians 1.10, it 
this is what we find. Well, let's read 9 and 10. It says, He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So notice that's the Father's plan, right? So the Father, even though it's his plan, he has designated the Son to receive this glory. That all things, uh, whether they be uh, in heaven, on the earth, under one head, that is Christ. So this is uniquely the Father exalting the Lord Jesus Christ. Even when we look at that Philippians passage, if we were to keep reading, where it says, there, the next verse would have said, Therefore, God has highly exalted him, given him a name that is above every name, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue should confess, right, to the glory of God the Father. So, looking at how the Father, I mean, he didn't say, well, you know, it's all about me, it's all about me. No, he is in his, it is within his plan to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our Lord. It is in him that we live and move and have our being. It is uh, because of who he is that we are who we are in the church age. So it's, we can see a, a pattern of humility and of deference, of being able to look at another and, and, and be obedient toward what their plan is. Let's keep moving. He will glorify me. This is not a decision made on the fly. It is according to the Father's eternal purpose, decided before creation. Now, this is Ephesians 1.4, where it began, where it says, He chose us, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. That's... Before time began, before creation began, before anything was anything, there was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what did they do? They chose us to be in Christ. And that just speaks of a larger plan. What do you mean they chose us to be in Christ? Who is Christ? We could ask a thousand questions along those lines. But we have to come to the conclusion that obviously before he chose us in Christ, there's a plan that this is an action that he took before the creation of all things. He chose us in Christ. and We could say, well, what led him to this action? What was obviously there's something that he is trying to accomplish through creation that he wants. So we could we could see that. So it's remember when we talk about the Holy Spirit and He will glorify me. Christ says this: He will glorify me. He He is recognizing the plan. And what do you think the Holy Spirit is doing? He's also recognizing the plan. This is not something where the Holy Spirit decides, "Hey, you know, I'm going to take a second position to who Christ is. I'm going to be a proxy for Christ." That's not what, it was not the Holy Spirit's decision to do this. It was the Father's plan that dictates every component part of the plan. And the Spirit's role is one uh, of the components of this plan, where in this particular age, he, just like Christ came to the earth and he had a role to play, so it is that the Holy Spirit is, is here now and has a role to play. We will talk about what that role is. It's very defined, and it's very distinctive. We should make sure we note that. It is not ambiguous, ethereal, unsure of what it actually is. It is literally definable. Christ was able to define it. Christ didn't say, well, we ain't quite sure what the Holy Spirit's going to do when he gets here. <laughs> Christ didn't say that. He spoke... Now, in terms of the wisdom and the knowledge, he says, I got much more to tell you. Sure, the Holy Spirit is going to tell us that much more. But it is 
not unsure or uncertain what that much more information is or how it would be communicated. Right? We'll talk more about it as we go forward. So to note, it's according to a plan. Right? That's how we have to see the coming of God, the Holy Spirit. Point C, there is benefit for us as recipients of the Spirit's ministry. Uh, right? There is certainly benefit. We, we, we stand to benefit from this. Christ is glorified by the Spirit's five exclusive ministries. So when it says, He will glorify me, even though Christ is glorified, it is, there is obvious benefit for us in this. And we're, we're going to talk about some of the benefit, but just note, as we think about what benefits us, on the one hand, on the other hand, the Spirit is coming with all of these ministries and roles that He is playing here to glorify Christ. It is not to glorify God the Holy Spirit. It is to glorify. So every, so every one of these ministries that we may talk about, and I, and I one, wanted to take some time to at least go through what the differences are between us and uh, we could say those of other dispensations. What, what are some of the benefits? And we're going to just cover what the Spirit's bringing to us that makes us different. So, but just remember, and keep this in the forefront of your mind, that everything the Spirit does is not to glorify us, it is to glorify Christ. It is Him. Right? That's the goal. But remember... We're going to be in there somewhere. Why? Because we're identified with the person of Christ, right? Uh, we could go back and say that. But I just wanted to point out, right? It didn't say he will glorify you. It didn't say that. It says he will glorify Christ. Now, if Christ is glorified, so are we, right? We'll, we'll get to that. So let's look at some of these ministries that distinguish us, that are clear about what God the Holy Spirit would do. And... and not only say when I say clear, perspicuous, ex being, we can explain these things. It's not like, well, you know, the Spirit works in mysterious ways. We could say those things, but that's not how the Spirit works. I don't see anywhere in Jesus's understanding of the Spirit or any of that, or even this, or the Apostles' understanding of the Spirit, that is somehow mysterious or uh, unintelligible or something that is sub our reasoning. You know, it, it is not. So let's look at the first one. We have gone through these things already, so we won't spend a lot of time, but I'll mention them. Spirit baptism, which identifies each believer with the person of Christ. So when we say identifies, I know it says baptism, but the, every time you see the word baptism, baptism means identification. One object is identified with another object so that the properties of that one object are changed to the properties of the object it is identified with. In our case, we are the ones being baptized by the Spirit, and that the object is Christ. We are identified with the person of Christ, not when he was a baby, or not when he was an adolescent or a Jewish person growing up in the world, but we are identified when he died, when he was buried, and when he is raised. So those are the things that we are identified with. And we can look at Romans 6, 3 through 8. To see, because this is a major change, not a minor, this is a major change. Verse 3, or do you not know that all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So notice, um, some people may not know this. So that means you got to sit down, pay attention. If you got to get your notepad out, because this is a matter of teaching where you got to learn what the Spirit has done. I know a lot of people don't want to do that, especially in today's church. It's like, why do we have to learn anything? Why can't we just let the Spirit just infuse us? No, no this is learning. So Paul said, what, what, you, you don't know? 
don't you know? Are you ignorant on this fact that this is what it's about here? So let's read it. I've magnified or don't you know enough, I think, that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Now listen, we don't know anything else but the experience that we uh, have lived in. The body was ruled by sin. We didn't. We don't know any. We don't have any other experience, and that's it. So if we're taken out of that and put into something else, that is a complete change. I mean, that, that goes beyond anything we could ever think or imagine right there. Just taking us from what we were used to, what we were experiencing in Adam, and literally taking us out of that and identifying us with the person of Christ, who is the last Adam, but this is his experience, death, burial, and resurrection. That's what we are now identified with. So we have everything to forget, and much to learn, don't we? It is so important that we see this from that perspective. So now, verse um, 7, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. And we could go on. It's not over. I just picked a phrase here. Uh, you know, I left plenty for you to glean and read for yourself. There's Romans chapter 6, 7, even into 8, the effects, well, not even into 8, especially 8, the effects of the baptism of the Spirit is tremendous. Uh, I, I could stop and spend more time talking about the results of uh, the baptism of the Spirit. We're not of this world anymore, any more, than, any more than Christ is of this world. He is done with this world. And we don't identify with him in, in his life on the earth. We identify with him in his death, which is his departure from this world. Huh. Interesting. We'll get more as we uh, dig in. Let's look at point, point uh, two. So that was spirit spirit uh, baptism. Now we're talking about spirit indwelling. So spirit indwelling, which makes our bodies living temples of God, and he will be, uh, and he will be integral to who we are forever. So remember, who, the, who is the spirit of God? He's God the Holy Spirit. When we talk about he is indwelling our bodies, he's with us. Now, of course, we can say, well, we need the Spirit because, you know, the sin nature tries to rule over our bodies. And now we need the Spirit indwelling our bodies to counter that. But really, it's not just to counter it because the power of the Spirit is far more powerful than whatever influence the sin nature has over us. It's not even close. So if we walk by the means of the Spirit... We will definitely not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Well, that's coming in spirit filling. But the indwelling says that the spirit will be with us forever. If we read John chapter 14, let's get to that. John 14. And here are some of the verses, 16 and 17. So it says, uh, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, and that's another name for the Holy Spirit, a comforter or advocate, to help you and to be with you forever. Now, who are we talking about? Verse 17 tells us the Spirit of Truth. And this is also known as the Holy Spirit. He will be with us 
forever. Forever goes beyond the fact that we are going to pass out of this physical life and we may receive our resurrection bodies and the Spirit will continue to be with us forever. This is what I mean by the Spirit is now integral. Now, the Spirit always worked in the world. The Spirit was in the beginning, hovered over the waters. The Spirit um, uh, will not always strive with our spirits, as we saw. Uh, the Spirit was always trying to turn the people who are on earth to God. He, he, it's not like he didn't have a role on this earth. He did, but he didn't have a role like the role that he has now. And the fact that he would be not just uh, with people, encouraging them and all that, like the, all that he's always done, but now he sets up our in our bodies a temple, right? So why would he, the Holy Spirit set up a temple in our bodies? It is for Christ and the Father to indwell. They live in the temple. A temple is a temple of God. And what, what do we, why do we say temple? Because it's, an, in, it's a habitation of God. He makes of us a habitation of God. God can now live in us. And the scriptures clearly do say that Christ is in us. We've got the Father is in us. One God, one Father who is in all. And he's talking about all the believers in the church age. He's not in every believer in Adam. It's only when the Holy Spirit sets up a temple in our bodies. And we know that Christ is in us. There are many scriptures that also tell us that Christ is in you and you are in him. Right? So there's a mutual possession thing going on. And how is that accomplished? It is through the ministry of the spirits indwelling us, living in us. Setting us apart unto God, right? And for his holy purposes, his usefulness. So that's, that's spirit indwelling. And then there's 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. I'll read it. 6, 19 and 20. If you're not sure. Here it is. Do you not know? <laughs> if you, hopefully you get sure after you read these verses. That your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Now, even though this is couched or contextualized in a negative sense, it still speaks the truth, right? It's like, don't use your bodies for the wrong reasons, right? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? And then he says, who is in you? Right? Okay, so there you have it. I don't know how you can be more clear. Whom you have received from God. Who, what God? What do you mean, God? God, the Holy Spirit. You, as a result, are not your own. You don't belong to you anymore. You belong to God. And you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Right? This is how we can take bodies that were ruled over by sin. And now, we're allowed to use those bodies. We're enabled, we should say, to use those bodies... For good, for divine good, God can actually use us to perform good, divine good. Not in the old way of the law and the letter of the law, but in the new way of the Spirit. Right? And that's what we have now, the Holy Spirit, indwelling us and making our bodies a habitation of God. There's much more could and should be said about that. But I'm summarizing these really quick. Point three, the third thing, and, and not by any particular order, spirit filling. What is that? Which is how the spirit leads and guides us. He enlightens us as well as empowers us to walk according to the mind of Christ. So those two things that are important. He enlightens and he empowers Right? That's those. What do we mean? Enlightens. Well, he, he could. He's going to tell us all those things to come. Right. He is going to going to give us that much more information that Christ, uh, of His mind, could not tell us. He's, we couldn't bear it at the time. But He says, "Well, when the Spirit comes, He will make all of that information now available to you." It's not so. The enlightens is, is a reference to illumination. So when we talk about 
illumination we're talking about of what God has said. Now, and you should know in the early part of the church age where we did not have God's complete canon of Scripture. When we say complete canon of Scripture, we're saying all the truth, just like we said, and like Jesus says, he will lead and guide you into all the truth. Well, that all the truth is what the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding. The rest of it was already written. Right? He's not going to come and rehearse the Old Testament for us. That's already been written. What he's going to come and give us and provide new information for uh, the dynamics of this new age. Right? So, so the filling of the Spirit is where the Holy Spirit is going to come and bring that information. And he's going to be able to enlighten us. So he he he's the one that had the information committed to writing, right? So that now we can refer back to the word, right? To see what it is, and that's where Jesus says, "Sanctify them, them that's us, by means of the truth." What's the truth? Your word is truth. So the Spirit can take that word now and illuminate that to our hearts, our spirits and our hearts. It makes it a part of who we are. And that's what the enlightening entails. But just remember, the word wasn't written in the early part of the church until it was. Well, God the Holy Spirit operated and used temporary spiritual gifts. We didn't get to gifts yet, but he used temporary spiritual gifts until we got the written word. And now the Holy Spirit can take that word and use that to set us apart unto God. So as he was revealing the information, he used prophets, apostles, right, to, to talk to us about it. Those who had the gift of knowledge and wisdom, he used those as well to bridge the gap until we got these things in writing. writing. And then once the written word came, God, the Holy Spirit, his focus now is to focus on this. He's the spirit of truth. And, and your word is what he illuminates in our thinking. Right? That's not going to change. And once we got it, we don't have to continue trying to get you know, somebody to be a prophet so that we can tell us more. He's told us everything he needs to tell us. Thy word is truth. Your word is truth. We could now stand on that, just like the writer uh, or Jude said, earnestly con contend for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. So, so this filling is important in terms of enlightenment, as, and then he also empowers us to walk according to to the mind of Christ. Well, what also in empowers, it's not just um, you know this when we talk about the filling, but it is. Uh, the where he equips us because part of empowers is equips and I think this is in a later point to make but all of this is part of the spirit's work in our lives right he baptizes us he indwells us he fills us he gifts us and he seals us that's part of what the spirit brings to our lives and that's under his empowering us to walk because we can't walk according to the mind of Christ without the things that we just mentioned Right. We, we need all of them, right? That's part of his empowerment is to give us all of these things. We don't just need the filling of the Spirit. We need the baptism of the Spirit to be able to understand the mind of Christ, to be li living in his age and so forth and so on. So we'll continue. There's a lot more. I'll just read, you know Galatians 5.18, which says that don't not to be drunk with wine which is an influence over us to leading to debauchery but to be filled with the spirit and so the filling of the spirit we understand is an influence uh, over us and that's how we ought to see it there's power that needs to be um, not only to counter uh, the sin nature but to overrule the sin nature, and to overpower the sin nature so that we walk according to uh, truth. And then there's Galatians 5.16, which kind of states that power. It says that if we walk uh, by means of the Spirit, we will definitely not 
there's, there's a double negative there. We will cert, most certainly not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. We cannot be walking by means of the Spirit and fulfilling the lusts of the flesh at the same time. The Spirit will overpower the, the flesh every time. It is not on an equal basis, and then you are the deciding factor. No, you are now saved. You are in the Spirit, but you can, by your volition, thwart the Spirit. You can grieve or quench the Spirit, and you will be walking according to the flesh. That is not what the desire of the Spirit is. Spirit will not give up on you and say, well, go ahead and do what you want. No, he will con continue to try to exert his influence over you. And then there's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in, along with this thought of the filling of the Spirit, 9 through 13. And you do see how all of these overlap. I know you do. That's hopefully what I'm, I'm saying. Verse 9, however, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. And see, there's, there's no way you can understand those things. Because there's no human being has. It's things of God. You haven't seen any of these things, and you can't possibly know them. You're outside of our understanding. These things, verse 10, are the things. These are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. So this is that much more information. We just didn't realize it would be this much more. Beyond, so far beyond what we particularly know as human beings. It is outside the realm of what human beings know. But these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. So the things the Spirit searches are things that are not just on the surface, not the milk of the Word, even though he brings clarity when it comes to what was written in the Old Testament about the milk of the word, but he brings more clarity to that even, sharper clarity. But he also will teach us the deep things of God. Well, what, the deep things of God are what eye has not seen, what ear has not heard, what has entered into the, or, or human mind has conceived. It can't, you can't possibly know that. Verse 11 is, is there to integrate verses 9 into this context. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So, in other words, he's, he's given us an analogy to say, well, you, only you know what you know, right? Nobody can read your mind, right? I know those mind readers are out there saying, I can read your mind, pay me money, and I can tell you what you're thinking. And people do pay them money. But that is not true. No one can know that. No one can know what my thoughts are except me. Now, of course, unless I reveal them. And sometimes people reveal their thoughts without even knowing it to people. And then that person relays it to the person who's supposedly reading your mind and all of that. That's how it goes. <clears throat> so, so that's a trick. But there's no way anybody can read your mind. Right now, you're sitting there listening to me, and I cannot tell. I don't care. I can't tell. only way I can tell what's in your mind is if God gives me that and tells me. And that's not happening. So don't, this verse is saying, no, no, your thoughts are your own. And in the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So he's relating that understanding to how and who knows what God is thinking? Well, we already know. We can't know because it says what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived. That's the context that is trying to explain to us. But it's explaining it that the Spirit can tell us what's in the heart of God. Things that we couldn't possibly know otherwise. So what we have received is not the Spirit of the world but the Spirit who is from God. In other words, this information doesn't come from the world. It comes from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. All of this is part of the disposition of God towards us. He's freely given us information. and th But this, this is this age, remember, it's now being revealed. It was hidden to pa from past ages and generations, but it is freely given <clears throat> to us. 
<coughs> Excuse me. And verse 13, <clears throat> this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom. There, it, I mean, this explains it, but in words, here it is, taught us or taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. Is that ambiguous? It's not. God is saying, I got not only do I have information to teach you, that information there's no way you could otherwise know, but I, the Spirit is the medium of communication. He's the way I'm going to communicate these things to you. I will teach you. The Spirit will teach you these things. And this is, to me, very clear. Anyway, we're still talking about the Spirit's filling. Point number three in our notes. But we're going to point four. Let's keep going. The Spirit gifting, okay, which allows each one of us to function as an essential part of the body. Now, we have the whole 1 Corinthians 12 for that. I'm not going to turn to the whole 1 Corinthians 12 to read that whole chapter. I'm going to hope you understand it. And if you don't, then you should go back and read it. I don't want to take the time to read it. Not that it's less important. It is just as important as what we said. It's essential right, to the function of the body. Not just one gift, all the gifts. And some gifts, you may think, well, that's not an exciting gift. But you know what? It's needed. It's needed. I mean, if you didn't have that gift, the body could not function. Uh, you just need to know that. Not all gifts are the same. And there obviously was people lusting after the gift of tongues. They wanted that gift of tongues more than anything else. You know, to be able to impress people. They thought they were were very spiritual if they had that gift. People looked up to them because they were able to talk this in unintelligible, this language that nobody knew in, in, in the audience. And people just thought that was amazing. And, and they were, you know, there was, it was also filled with the statics and people were getting really excited and emotional about uh, people who had this gift. This is not to say that they should have, because there's no indication that the disciples, when they all received the gift of the Holy Spirit and they spoke in other languages or tongues, there's no reason to think that they were somehow very emotional and ecstatic. They were not. They were uttering things that came from the Spirit of God. They were proclaiming things that came from the Spirit of God. So, so th this gifting is important. I will. God is saying that each person who has received a gift, Romans 12, I'm going to read that. It's not going to take too much time. Romans 12, uh, 4 through 8 says, <clears throat> just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not, have, do not all have the same function. So it's the same analogy he gave in 1 Corinthians, but he's getting to a little bit more of it here. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Notice it's we, there is a sense of unity that we have as believers. Now, I, I hope you have this sense of oneness with other believers. It does not matter what their gift is. It doesn't matter what, where they're from, their race, their, their male or female. Their, none of those factors should matter as far as their contribution to the body. And remember, none of us are successful if some of us are not successful. We, all of us, together, need to be successful in how we function. So therefore, we encourage one another. We do everything we can to foster and to trust each other. This is important. It's, we are the body function. Like right now, if I get up and walk across the room, I'm depending on my legs, my feet, my ankles, my arches, my, my toes, all of those things. And I could do it, walk across the room without even thinking about it. But if those things don't work, then I could think about walking across the room, but I won't get there because those things are not functioning. So 
we trust, we know, we appreciate all parts of the body. They're important. And we're talking about the body of Christ. So it is with Christ. And then six, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. There it is. So it's not like uh, we all got the same thing, right? I know we all like to think, you know, I'm strong in these areas and this is where God, the Holy Spirit's gift is working in me. So now I'm going to have expectations of you that you have the same uh, experience that I have. No, we have to learn how to appreciate everyone in, in, in the same, make sure we, we regard everyone and respect the gifts that others have. This is important. So I know if, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If, if it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So whatever your gift is, do it, right? Go ahead. Because you know why? The body of Christ needs it. The gifts are for the common good. That's in 1 Corinthians 12. So it is important that we see the gifts as essential to our function, especially on the battlefield, as this relates to the battlefield. Gifting is important. We could say much more about this as well. But this is each to each one of us. The Holy Spirit gives a gift. I don't. I can't tell you what your gift is. God, the Holy Spirit, as you mature, will uh, allow your gift to emerge in you, and you should be aware of that ability you have. And an ability is not something you have developed. This God, the Holy Spirit, has given you this ability. So don't get your head all stretched out of proportion because it's not you. It's God, the Holy Spirit, who has given you this ability. And that is for a certain reason. It's not for you to get the big head or puff yourself up or raise yourself up. It is for you to function in the body of Christ. So just point number five, let's move forward. Sealing, the sealing, spirit sealing which is our conscious identity as sons. And this complements the baptism of the Spirit, where God has done this thing, where he has taken us, this tremendous thing. He has taken us out of our experience in Adam and united us to, to the risen Christ through his death, burial, and resurrection. We went through that with him that most crucial phase of human history. We are identified with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. So the work of Christ is, and the glory that he receives, part of it is our experience. Now there's another type of glory that if we suffer with him, we will receive. That is battlefield glory. But the glory of who you know, the Christ is in terms of the plan of God from eternity past, what God wanted, the fact that he chose us in him before the creation of the world. There's a glory that is associated with that that cannot be diminished or taken away. It is literally because of our identification with Christ that we receive who and what he is. We are exactly as he is. So the spirit sealing is our conscious identity as sons. How do we get to be sons? Not the sealing. It is the baptism of the Spirit. But the sealing is our little literal understanding identity as a son. That we understand who we are in Christ. I mean, not that we just know it by faith, but that we know it by consciousness, literally allowing us to know and experience our position and develop thirst for what is to come. So we know that that's Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. I'm going to read that for you. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. Here's a sealing of the Holy Spirit. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit. So the fact that we have the Holy Spirit now, part of our seal is God the Holy Spirit. Literally, all of these things that he has done for us is the is the Holy Spirit. And it's everything that he, that comes with him that makes us who we are. It's not just one thing. Like the sealing is more about our conscious, our conscious identity. When I say conscious, that means you know it. You don't just think, well, am I really a son? I think so. That's what the word says. No, it makes you feel like a son. It's one thing if you were adopted in, into a family and you, you knew that that wasn't your roots. You knew that, that they adopted you. You're not one of the natural sons. And you knew that, right? But this is like you were born in that family. And you feel just like the others in that family. You, you, there's no difference of, in who you are and who they are. Right? God is not ashamed to call us son. That's what Hebrews chapter 2 says. So because of our identification, all of these things are a reality to us. And what does the sealing ministry of the Holy Spirit do? It guarantees. It is like a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So there's much more beyond waiting for us. Beyond This is why it says we yearn for what is yet to come. So it's guaranteeing our inheritance until until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So it guarantees our inheritance. Well, if it's a deposit guaranteeing something so much bigger, then that so much bigger will soon come into play. And we're going to see it. How, how long do we need the ceiling? Until we get it, right? Until the redemption of those who are God's possession. We God owns us. We're going to get we said that with the uh, indwelling. He owns us right now. So when we get our resurrection bodies, when we get to eternity, that's when we'll understand and receive our inheritance and we'll know <laughs> what God has made of us uh, through the experiencing of it at that time. So right now, we just got the deposit, right? Well, the deposit is, how do we know for sure? Because God gave us this seal. What is the seal? It's tangible evidence of who we are in Christ. And when I read more, I find Romans 8, 16, and 17. I want to return to Romans 8, 16, and 17. It says... The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So here you have the Holy Spirit, just like we said, teaches us, right, before. Here's the Spirit testifying with our spirits. In other words, making it real, making it plain, who we are. What is it that he's testifying? That we are God's children. This is literally uh, the inside testimony. It's not just the outside testimony of God. God, you are a son, right? Well, God is saying, I'm going to give you inward testimony that you are a son, that you are children of God. And that inward testimony is not only, not you coming to the conclusion, well, if if, if this and that... at one plus one is two, and two plus two is four, then I deduce that I'm a son. No, that inward testimony comes from the Spirit of God. He doesn't just say, well, you're a son, and hopefully you get get that in your lifetime. No, he says, internally, I will, will also give you that you are a son. Now, and then verse 17, if you are children, there are some conclusions, then heirs. And when we talked about heirs, what did we say? We said that, We now got the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance. And the fact that he guarantees our inheritance says we are heirs. 
right? That's what we are. If we're children, then we're heirs. And if God's, if the Holy Spirit is testifying to us that we are children, then he is testifying to us that we are heirs. Heirs of God. That's, that's what he is letting us know. So when you come to the understanding of this, not just that, well, that's what the scripture says. No, I know that's what the spirit of truth has revealed to me and, and cries out within me so that now there is no other conclusion. God, the Holy Spirit, has made this real. That this mystery age and this information that God has hid from ages and past generations that belongs to us, that God is the only one who could have brought me into this time and space right now. It's real. And God identifies with our spirits that this is true of us. We're not just making this up. This is not just pie in the sky, by and by, like people say. Well, you're just waiting to where, you, you know, you just defer everything and then you live like a pauper here. That's not what God is saying at all. He's saying, this is real. That what I've done in you is true. And when you get that inheritance, because when you see it right now, you're going to be able to see your inheritance right now. You can't experience it, but you can see it. You understand it. And literally, you can begin to orient your life on earth while here. You can do something that Christ only did for 40 days, 40 or 50 days. You can live the resurrection life on earth like he did. But now you have that opportunity to live this new life. And this is on this side. While we still are in these bodies that may still try to have power over us with the sin nature. So this, this part of it is, is unique, right? The sealing ministry. And then there's verse 23 where it says, not only so, but we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, right? So this is, first fruits of the Spirit is another analogy for Pentecost, right? The Spirit at Pentecost. So I'm glad it said the first fruits of the Spirit because the Spirit came at Pentecost. And that's what made, he's what made all the difference here. Without him, None of these things could have happened. So we are the ones who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. So in other words, that's when we receive our full inheritance. When we got, get to this place, once we experience the fullness of what God has shown us. And that we groan inwardly, right? That sounds bad, but it's really good because it, it, what that is developing is another word, hope. Right? And this hope, we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? We already have salvation, right? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, what do we do? We wait for it patiently. So even though we're groaning inwardly, eager, Right, because we are seeing that inheritance. What what does that hope make us do? Wait patiently, because we know we got it. It's not like we we hope we got it. We know we got it. And the more we see it, the more we know we have it. That's what that is. That's that hope that is in us. It drives us to live according to His good pleasure, to walk worthy of the calling to, that we have received. This is part of our destiny, of who we are. And now we're just in this period where we can prove to God. We can show him that we also love him, just like Christ did. And, and we will are devoted to him and respecting and honoring who he is and fulfilling his purpose in our lives here on earth. Right where you are, right where you sit. So, those five ministries. Keep in mind, we talked about how they benefit us. But really, those five ministries are part of where Jesus is saying, he will glorify me. And we are a part of who he is. He's not complete without us. I can read that in Ephesians chapter one. It's 
pretty clear. We've kind of gone over this. There's a lot more to it. I even said everything today, but it says in verse 22, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Listen, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, he fills everything in every way, but we are the fullness of him. We complete him in his role, and then that is that becomes our role as well. Part of what God designed for him is him plus us. So when we talk about the five ministries of the Spirit, it's not to benefit us. It's to benefit the Father's eternal purpose, of which we are an integral part. Without us, well, Christ can't, he can't be fulfilled. What do you mean fulfilled? Well, he can't um, execute the Father's plan the way the Father planned it. This is why we are in the picture, because he is bringing out those many sons in the glory. Those many sons are united to Christ in this very special relationship. That we become one with him. We are part of his body. We are the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So this, the, these things, remember, are to glorify Christ. They say, he, he will glorify me. That's what Christ said. And last point on this is point D. He uh, or says, how will the Spirit glorify Christ? How will the Spirit glorify Christ? And just remember, we are not left to our own ideas on how he will do this. It is defined in the next phrase. In the next phrase, it says, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. And it looks like we're going to have to cover that next week, which is fine. Uh, we have plenty of time. I don't want to rush it. I want to stop and think about how these five ministries glorify Christ. How they are not just designed for us individually, but they make us one. We are one with him in this special relationship. And I want us to begin to experience and see that, that we are one and how we need each other, how important we are to one another and how important we are to the Father's plan, more so. So this is, this is information about how the Spirit will operate on this earth. And a lot of people have said that, they, you know, Spirit works and does all these weird things, but what we will find in Scripture is Jesus is setting the stage about what the Spirit would do. He says he will glorify me. How will he do it? He even tells us how he will glorify Christ. And so we have clear instruction, not ambiguous. So let's take our time and orient to what God has revealed in, this, in the word of truth. And that's what we, we will continue to do next week as we keep our focus on the spirit of truth. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father. We are so pleased with the provision. It is beyond our expectations of what we could imagine. And as we think of all that you have done for us, what you have made of us, who we are in Christ, what does it mean in, in, in terms of the entire purpose that you have? Uh, we are overwhelmed with this information and we thank you we appreciate you we, we, we praise you for all that you are and all that you have planned as a result of what we can now see and what we can see is glorious we can see an inheritance that is as Peter says undefiled preserved in heaven for us. So we thank you for those who are here. Uh, we thank you for uh, this particular 
revealing that you have given us. We pray that the information that we, we talk about here will be a blessing to others as well. And we pray for them as they hear these words uh, that you have given us. We thank you for this church. We, we pray for those in the world who are not saved. Who, uh, Lord, if you could use us in any way, we pray that you use us. We pray for those who are in the body of Christ, wherever they may be, whatever country, whatever nation they, they live in. Father, that we're, we're one with them as well. We pray for them that they may reach the fullness and stature of Christ, just as we, it is our goal here in the U.S. All these things we ask in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Amen.